Welcome to For Your Listening Pleasure, a podcast that dives deep into important topics and fosters understanding by exploring captivating interviews with diverse guests, where we discuss how their unique experiences have shaped them into the individuals they are today. This podcast is committed to having honest and thought-provoking conversations to arouse curiosity and convey essential messages of empathy, inclusion, and diversity, one conversation at a time. I am your host, Mallory Waxman. Today on the podcast, I'm honored to be welcoming back Pepper Miller and Rob Volpe. As a reminder, Pepper is an expert on Black American culture and the author of Let Me Explain Black Again, which explores the diverse subcultures within Black America, urging marketers to bridge understanding gaps. Rob is the founder and CEO of Ignite360 and the author of Tell Me More About That, Solving the Empathy Crisis One Conversation at a Time. Join us to explore the intersection of race and empathy and look at the individual roles we play in these conversations. I hope you find this episode insightful, and I would encourage everyone to listen to both Rob and Pepper's individual episodes to learn more about their backgrounds and check out the links in this episode show notes to order their individual books. If you have enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends, family, and your networks. And thank you again for being a listener. Enjoy. On today's episode, I'm honored to have both Rob and Pepper back. So thank you both. And a little fun fact is Rob actually introduced me to Pepper. And if you haven't listened to their individual episodes, I would highly encourage listeners after listening to this one to go back, check it out, and also more importantly, check out their books. I will have both their books linked in this episode. So if you are interested in learning more about their individual journeys, you can check out the links in this episode. The reason why I asked them both to come on was obviously it's Black History Month. Pepper's book, Let Me Explain Black Again, really dove into her life stories, working with corporate companies and really trying to explain what it means to be Black in America again. But then you have Rob, who really focuses on empathy. And his book, Tell Me More About That, really explores empathy as a topic in both corporate America as well as our personal lives. So I felt like the two of them together would be a really good mix. And where I want to kick this off, because part of me feels dirty having this conversation because it's Black History Month. Now, this is the kind of conversation we should be having all year round. But obviously, Rob, you being part of the LGBTQ plus community and Pepper, you're a black woman in this country. You guys both have months dedicated to the subgroups that you are part of or you identify partially with. It's not your entire identity, but it's a big part of your identity. I always kind of feel weird when we have these months because We should be focusing on Black history and LGBTQ plus history every day that ends in Y, 365 days a year, not just for a month. And you see a lot of corporate companies wheeling out representatives that represent the month that they're celebrating. Then at the end of the month, they wheel them back in until next year. My first question to both of you, that's a long-winded way of getting to it, is when these months pop up, how do you feel? Because obviously as a white female, I don't identify with either of them, but I want to learn more and celebrate, but I feel like the celebration shouldn't just be a 30-day thing. Mallory, thank you so much for for having uh, us on. You are, and this is such an overused word and I don't like to use it, but you really are amazing. (laughs) You really, really are. So thank Thank you you so much. And to your listeners too, I I'm grateful that Rob introduced me to you. I um I have um, seven blind spots in my book, and one of the blind spots I talk about is the lack of empathy. And I have enclosed uh, or I have included in my book um, Rob's Sorry. five steps to empathy as a sidebar in my in my book. It's um, really good, so um, I I love it. But your question. So this is part of my journey. This is what happens. Uh, We go through the, um, you know, all of the, I don't even know if it's much excitement these days, but it used to be a lot of excitement around Black History Month. Um, It seems kind of, you know, blase today, but I'm 
am grateful for it. There, there is some attention to it, but you're absolutely right. So people come in, they talk about it. We see a lot of ads on TV. Um, we see people talking about it in events and then it, it, it goes away. Um, and, and I think one of the, and so does the, the, just the interest in black people ebbs and flows. Uh, when Barack Obama was our president, there was a de-investment in black research, black media, black advertising. You have a black president, we're post-racial. So it's something that we're used to when, uh, when, uh, 45 got in office, the interest went up uh, a bit. People were like, whoa, maybe there is some problems. And then when George Floyd was murdered, it was way up. The conversations about race were just every everywhere. And people were, you know, telling these heartfelt stories. Uh, and then it started going down. And then the Supreme Court ruling happened against um, affirmative action for college admission and it's back down again. So it's just the cycle that I've seen since I've been here. Um, so having this conversation with you and you being a white female is a very important, you're very courageous. And, and finally, we're undergoing, we, the black community, we're undergoing what I call the great erasure. It's a big erasure of, of our history. It's a movement to erase our history. And it is working in some states, I think, where you live, in Texas and in Florida in particular, um, I think Martin Luther King is gone in some of those uh, books and some of those stories. So it's something that I'm used to. And Rob, I'm going to kick it to you because you probably experienced some of the same being uh, a member of the LGBT plus community as well. What's going on with you? What do you think? Gay man, how do I feel about it all? Yeah, I've there's a term that I've heard people in the community and I've certainly used as well called rainbow washing, which is what happens because, you know, those rainbow flags are awfully pretty. Uh, and so let's make a can, you know, decorated with them, change Skittles and do all sorts of promotions. And, and it's not to belittle those companies. I'm grateful that they're doing that. It's important. However, what does need to occur is more inclusion throughout the year. Um, and, and, and it doesn't, you know, it's, there's so many different aspects of marketing, but even as corporations and leaders think about how um, these groups are showing up, I think about the ERGs. I, I work with a lot of employee resource groups now. And, you know, for the pride group, I was talking to one client at a major telecom and they're really trying to create programming that goes beyond just June. You know, yes, it's the big time. It's when the parades are and, and all the things, but what does that programming look like the rest of the year? Yes. Um, yes. Because we're here the rest of the year. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Like <laughs> we're here all year long. We're not Christmas that just comes and goes like it's ever present. And so how do organizations include us? And it doesn't mean that, oh, I want the rainbow flag beer can every month out of the year, but I do want to know that you're engaged with my community and you're supporting my community um, at other times of the year. So don't just do a, you know, if you're a spirits or a beer company, don't just do a, a bar promotion, you know, in June. Like do it all year round, get involved with the local chamber of commerce for the gay community and find other ways to, to support and help out. Absolutely. Beautiful. One thing I have come to realize is that anti-racism is a constant process and you really have to focus on how do you do this work? How do you keep asking questions? How do you keep showing up? So you keep learning because it took, and I hate to say this, it took until 2020 with George Floyd and Brianna Taylor, for me to realize that there are microaggressions everywhere. And I can't even imagine what that would be like growing up. And without realizing it, are raising a system that supports this. So to be really anti-racist, you really have to 
learn and ask questions. And that involves listening and empathy. It seems like today I have an issue really watching the news because we have no empathy. We're not listening to other people. And when we ask questions and someone talks about their pain or their struggles, we don't want to deal with it because that's too much for us to deal with. But you have to get in the work. So my question to you, as both Rob, you obviously live in this world of empathy and Pepper, you live this experience daily. What would you tell people, what steps to get in the work, get into those uncomfortable conversations, especially as a white person of privilege? You know, there's, uh, it's a great question, Mallory. And I think there's so much that's happening in our society right now. And the people are facing that we're, there's a, a, a phrase in psychology known as empathic distress. And Adam Grant wrote about it um, in an op-ed in the New York Times at the beginning of this year in 2024. I did a piece in my newsletter uh, right a few weeks earlier trying to understand like there was just this like need to celebrate Christmas and to really like, you know, I was experiencing it and like make Christmas as big as I possibly could. And then I noticed through some studies we were doing and um, just everyday Americans we were talking to that there was that feeling as well. And when I talked to them about it, they're overloaded. They don't know what to do with what's happening in, in Israel and in Gaza. Like, how do you respond to that? You see people suffering. You see people suffering in your hometown. You see George Floyd. And that's the thing. Like, we can we can watch people get murdered now. You know, mm. what happened to George Floyd. That's what's happened to so many other people. But now it's actually available because we all have, have cameras and we're able to see that. And that is really difficult to take in. So some people are going to go to a place of empathic distress, which means I can see somebody's suffering, but I just don't know what to do about it. And so I think it, it you know, hopefully as good comes out of horrible events, people have started to explore and learn um, and get knowledgeable, but they have to open themselves up and be aware as a starting point of just their own judgments, their biases and the things that are coming up. So those microaggressions that you talked about, which, you know, for some individual, and these are things that are programmed in, you know, if you're growing up in a certain community, you're just always, your brain kind of it gets wired that these horrible things are going to come out of your mouth in a microaggression. And until you take the time to look inward and have that self-awareness, you're not going to catch yourself. Let I, I love, I love that. I, I love that. Um, when you talked about things that are uh, programmed in, um, and I'm glad that you spoke first, <laughs> as you thought, you talked more about empathy and understanding people. And I'm there too. I'm there too. Also, there's two or three things that I've discovered. There was a scene in this movie, The Breakup with Jennifer Aniston and Vince Vaughn. They were, when they were breaking up and they had this dinner party and she cooked all this stuff and he didn't help her and she wanted him to help to do the dishes and he wouldn't want to do the dishes. And he finally said yes. And she said, forget it. I, I don't want, I don't want you to help. And he was like, well, what's the problem? She said, I want you to want to want to do the dishes. I love that because I've, observed it's better it's harder but it's still better when people want to want to get black people and the lgbt community and asians and hispanic when they want to want that but there's a couple of things that happen if they don't have that desire to want to learn like a mallory it's the fear of losing out which is what's happening now um people are you know, we in the multicultural division started talking about in the industry, we started talking about the growth of Hispanics and the growth of African-Americans and how by 2044 or 2050, there's going to be more people of color and less white people. That was not a motivator for people. I think it frightened them. So we get pushed back there. And then something, it was an article that um, I read a couple of weeks ago that I loved it was about the uh the the white inevitability of Donald Trump it was really really well written and cuz i kept trying to understand the the maga mindset what is it that they see what 
I have been like trying to understand. And he wrote that um, racism is not a deal breaker for some people that they don't, because it's to your point, it, it's part of their, it's part of their culture. And I was like, oh, but it, it helped me understand. And it, and it really uh, gave me less angst to tell you the truth. Cause I, you know, I've been wondering uh, about that. Um, so, and those things sound a little harsh, <laughs> um, but it is a um, an opportunity to try to understand the lens of other people and what they're doing, and then how do we, uh, you know, how do we proceed um, with that? Actually, so Pepper, this question's for you. So you grew up first in Chicago, then your family moved you down south, and in your episode, we talked about how you grew up and you remember seeing the KKK across the street lighting up you know crosses doing their weird traditional bullshit but now we're have an election coming up that when I think about it my blood pressure really spikes are you worried that we're moving backwards at such a fast rate that people won't realize how big of a step we took back until it's too late absolutely in this country absolutely it's what keeps me awake at night um, and that's what keeps me awake at night has always kept me awake at night is for society and brands to understand the value of black Americans as a people, as well as a market segment. And so you get this rush because we have a black president, Obama, and yet, yes, things are going to be better. And then the disinvestment, and then we have to try. Anyway. So it's always this up and down, up and down. And I, I'm a boomer. And to your point, I've been connecting the dots to where we are now, to where I was as a seven-year-old living for four and a half years in the segregated South. And it's what has really emphasis on the really, not so much the change, what has really, what has really changed. And it does feel like we're going backwards. It's harder for um, Black people and other people of color to vote. They're erasing our history. I did, I did not see any of this coming. I didn't see any of this coming. And so, you know, I'm I'm out here pounding the pavement, talking about the importance of understanding our history. It is the most important insight for understanding U.S. born Black Americans in particular. So yes, I am worried. It keeps me awake at night. I, I don't know what's going to happen to Black people. I I am assured there are these fractions in the Black community that we call the resistance, and they're just organizations and people that are organizing against the great erasure. They're organizing for inclusion. They're organizing for fairness and equality. So that gives me a little bit of, of hope. But they're, you know, when I see all these states and these groups of people and the 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 news media on and on about uh, erasing black people and then you hear about black people shooting and carjacking and and so that becomes the brush that paints all of us like that and it's that is not all of us we're good people we're kind people we're trusting people we're safe people we're uh, accomplished people and we're capable, but those messages are not, those messages aren't coming through. So it does make me extremely concerned about what's going to happen to my people. I think that actually feeds really nicely into what Rob's book talked about is really putting your bias or your preconceived notions of whether it's a group of people or an individual aside. And what you just talked about you know, I know you're in Chicago. I used to live there. And when you see what's happening on the South and West sides and the carjackings and all this stuff, it's the media is doing us a disservice by constantly saying, well, like, oh, the individuals were, you know, of dark skin. And then you see a mugshot kind of drawing on the news. And it's, it's, again, putting that bias in our head. So Rob, what can we do to try to rewire our brains to remove the noise that puts that bias in our head and really start to look at individuals who look different than us 
from like walking in in a more like I see you as a person versus what the news or TikTok or whatever is telling me about people that look like you. Yeah, it's um, wake up is the first thing I want to say. And I don't mean um, woke or, or something like that. I mean, turn your self-awareness on. Pay attention when you're watching the news. Try to pull yourself out of the news itself and look at it from a critical perspective of how they are presenting the story and the, you know, the, the sketch of the suspect and the words that they're using and, and do they provide the same approach to other stories? You know, do they always call out that it's a black or a Hispanic individual, but they don't indicate when it's a white man? Or I, white I don't, I don't think they're doing that anymore, Rob. Um, what they do is just show the pictures, but they used to do that. And, but they're showing the pictures. There's still like, it's, it's still yeah, yeah. coming through. And, and yeah. so it, it's having that conscious awareness of the things that you're actually taking in. It's like, don't be in social media, look at social media, like observe it, see the messages that you're kind of taking in. So I think self-awareness and trying to pay more attention from a, a slightly removed critical perspective can be really helpful um, so that you start to see where all these things are showing up. And then really it's like, get curious, always be curious, always be asking questions of others, but of yourself and of other people. And, you know, talk to, talk to people. We're all human. We all just want to be seen and heard and know that somebody's grateful that we're here. And that we have value. So talk to the clerk at the grocery store. Talk, say hi to your bus driver, you know, ask them how their day's going. They usually have some fascinating stories, but you're never going to know if you don't ask. I mean, I, oh, go ahead, a, Pepper. Well, just a little footnote on woke. Um, being woke is not anti-white, anti-flag and anti-American. It goes back to 1920s when Black people created the expression, and it, it is about being aware of the injustices against particularly Black people and using your voice to talk about it. When Black people talk about wanting equality um, and equity, America hears anti-white, anti-Flag, anti-American, and that's, and that's not, not what, that, what that means. So I do think we need to push the correct definition of woke out there. And we all need to be woke against, you know, you know, Jewish people, LGBT people. I mean, it is a, it can be, it's a, an expression that generated in the black community for us, but it can be for all, for all of us to be woke, to be aware, to pay attention, to do those things that Rob suggested doing when people I love that. Talk to your bus driver. Talk to your friends. Do you have any black friends? Do you have gay friends? Do you have? I mean, I think, you know, to ask ourselves some questions and to always begin with why. Yeah. I don't think I knew woke started uh, so long ago, Pepper. Yeah. It's not a new thing. It's, it's we've, just, been, it's, we've always it's, talked about being woke and stay woke. And, and um, you know, the, the song by um, Donald Glover, you know, stay woke, you know, uh -huh. it's, you know, so that probably popularized, it became popular then uh, into mainstream probably because of that song. Uh, but um, yeah, his album Childish Gambino, I think it's on that album, but it, uh, it became popular. And so the politicians flipped, uh, flipped the message, of course, <laughs> which is what they do. And so when I, and yes, yeah, so I, if I can clarify myself, I didn't mean to put down the idea of being woke, but from that vilif, don't feel like the way that, that it has been vilified. is. That's, oh, I knew that. I'm, I'm glad that you do that. I We know that, but I'm glad you need to explain that for your audience. We know where you're coming from. You're a very woke man. Emp being empathetic is truly all about being woke. It absolutely is. Yeah. It. Thank you. I try. I try. And but I think too. You talk to this. Like fear is so powerful, mm -hmm. and we've really tapped into we society elements in society have tapped into the shadow that 
just can drive people. I mean, the fear is what drove, you know, he who shall not be named to get elected number 45. Fear is what drives people to so many of these the fear of trans individuals. They, they have things just conjured up and then they're not applying any critical thinking. I wonder if we took the fear and repurposed it into curiosity Ooh. or empathy, where would we be? A great example is um, I had to get, I had to find a new nail salon since I moved. If you know me, I love my nail guy in Chicago. It's been a hard, it's been a hard transition, but I went on Saturday and there's these three women who were getting their nails done. It was just me and they were talking and I, you know, I don't know anyone and I'm from the Midwest. So I talk to everyone. I don't care if you're a bus driver or a janitor, like I meet you on the street, like I'm going to start talking to you. And they were talking and they were getting their nails done. And, um, one of them is pregnant. She's going to be a single mom. And I was like, Oh, like I'm, I'm around. If you need help, let me know if you need anything. And by the end, we exchanged numbers. I'm invited to the baby shower. Oh I God. texted her this week because I knew she had her appointment. I was like, Hey, how are you feeling? And they don't look anything like me, but it was because I listened. I was like, Hey, and we were chatting and all this stuff. And people that look so different than physically how I am, we were able to relate. And now I'm going to a baby shower and I offered to bake a cake for it. So, oh my God. I mean, <laughs> but like, you got a new friend. Oh, for sure. Like, but that's how you evolve. That's how you learn is by talking to people. And one thing I will say, and I've, I heard this so much in 2020. So Pepper, I want your thoughts on this. I have so many questions about black culture and what it's like um, growing up like that. Just like I'm Jewish and I know that there's people who are like, what's this holiday? Why don't you eat this? Or why are you fasting? And yeah, you can Google and I have, but I think it's more powerful to hear someone's individual experience and life experience. But then on the flip side, I've heard it's not your job to educate me which I understand, like you don't want to be the poster child for black culture or what it means to be black in America. As someone who wants to learn more and engage in these conversations, do it in a empathetic, respectful way without making you feel like the pressure's on you to educate me. Like you shouldn't have to do that, but I'm curious. I'm glad you led with your story because you are seeking consciously or unconsciously genuine connections with these women. And I think you have to start there. Um, and you do do your own educating. Um, and you just have to be, I think we have to be careful. I think what happens is there's usually a thousand questions that people have. And I think you have to just temper that a bit. I think it's okay to to ask some questions and then go and find the other questions out for yourself. But I think your approach at looking for um, and putting yourself in the place to have a genuine connection with a person, because, you know, starting from the human being perspective, which is ideally where we all kind of really, really probably want to be or need to be. Uh, and people talk about that. We're all just people are people. Why are you just talking about black people? I get, you know, I get that nailed for that um, a lot. And that's because people don't understand us. But, you know, looking for that, that seeking that general, uh, uh, genuine connection, I think starting there, asking some questions and doing your research, it's all kind of cyclical. It's not just uh, one thing. It's not necessarily compartmentalized. It's like spaghetti sauce where it all kind of comes together and not and not so much compartmentalized because when it gets compartmentalized, there these walls come up and that's where fear, then the wall becomes fear or the wall might become less empathy and then you don't get to go to the other side when you're compartmentalizing. But if you're the spaghetti sauce, you're just flowing, naturally flowing. And I think that works that works um um a lot better and a lot of they you know there are people who are shy and um uh, people who are not comfortable comfortable doing that but i still think they could 
learned even to, you know, step outside of their comfort zone to do that once in a while. They shy people, uh, introverted people typically do have to occasionally step outside of their comfort zone. It's the same process when encountering a person who doesn't look like you. I am beginning to look more at the uh, Asian culture. I've been getting emails from the Asian Marketing Association because I want to understand that culture um, a lot more. Just instead of just eating Thai food and Chinese food, I want to understand that culture uh, a lot more. So I'm getting there. Rob, you've interviewed tens of thousands of people and your book is even about, tell me more about that. When you've been in those situations where you have to dig deep, what advice regards to how you word the questions or how you tee it up would you give to listeners who maybe want to explore more but want to ask questions in an empathetic or curious way versus being like, well, why is it like this? Because I think how we phrase things can sometimes trigger certain reactions. Absolutely. And it, and trigger not just the words, but the way that you're asking it, your body language, like all the things, the context is like being sensitive, like read the room when you're going in and you're going to talk if you're, you know, to, to the question you put to Pepper, like if you're going to ask a black person or somebody else that just is other different from you in some way, know the context of the time, is this the right time? Do they look like, you know, you're, you're, they're open to, to having that conversation. I believe that you can have a conversation. And I was taught um, when I learned to moderate that you can ask any question about any topic with respect, but you have to have, do you use respect and treat it seriously because it can be serious to somebody else. So going into that, I try to, you know, tell me more is a really easy way to signal that you are curious and you sincerely do want to learn more about a certain thing. Um, I think, Mallory, you modeled that for us as well as you gave a story where you were suddenly in a strange, you know, a stranger in a strange city and there's, you could like, you know, go into the shadow and the fear but instead you chose to get curious and you engaged in a conversation. And now all of a sudden you're baking a cake and going to a baby or a baby or bridal shower. You're going to a shower. So that's a great example of just turning it around and being curious and asking the question, like find something to ask somebody about. Like I love um, Pepper's necklace. So if I was meeting her for the, you know, I may ask her a question about that just to warm the conversation up and then say, Hey, tell me more about, um, as it relates to, um, you know, the, the queer community to the black community, I've been consuming a lot of media lately and watching fellow travelers right now, which deals with a gay couple and their history, starting with the McCarthy trials, they met in the early fifties. Um, have watched, um, you know, I just saw Origin, which is the um, movie adaptation of Cast, which, you know, Pepper's book is canon. You've got to read that. You've got to read Cast. You've got to watch Origin and the ad- adaptation of that. But it gives you the tools to, to and, and the, it gives you the examples where you could go in and say, hey, I just saw this movie and the scene in origin where the little boy is excluded from the swimming pool. And then the way, you know, like that just felt so horrible to me. I, I hope you haven't experienced something like that. And that's an entry point. And I'm showing tremendous empathy for what I experienced and connecting it and then having concern for my fellow man, you know, I'm looking at Pepper on the screen, like, you know, I hope you've never experienced something like that, because that just seemed really horrible. But it sounded like that was kind of commonplace. Exactly. Uh, and I have even as an adult, um, you know, just, it, you know, in my 20s, it's swimming at the at the health club where the white people got out of the pool. <laughs> my girlfriend and I, I'm telling you, it happens. But you know what, your book too. I think your stories um, can help people. I loved your example 
of of origin the movie and i i think that's a great example for it you know to to talk up using some some current uh media and entertainment that's happening out here i think it's great but you you know you have a lot of wonderful stories that you encountered and how you were humbled by some of the um the interviews that you conducted with people and how, you know, how you talked about how you were exhausted after some, or how you had to, you know, get yourself together. I think your book does a great job of that and how you, you know, and how you, you shared your own stories, uh, you know, about your childhood and what happened to you. Um, one of the things that I tell people too, and that your book helped me to remember how we all did not start at the same place. Cause there's, you know, with our biases, there's an expectation that we expect people, I guess, to be like us, to think like us and to feel like us and to do things like us and not thinking enough, begin with why, begin with why, begin with how, you know, what their experience might have been. I look at Maybe there's some person on the corner begging for money. It might be a drug addict. I'll give them the money. Maybe they don't rob anybody. But I look at that person, I think when they were a baby, oh, you're so precious and wonderful. We want you to grow up to be a drug addict. No, you don't know what people's beginnings are. And I learned a lot of that by reading your book and how you brought that out, Rob, uh, really. I mean, really, I mean, really, because you talked about your own, you know, you had a great childhood, but you had some other things going on in your childhood that was not so great. And you shared that and it and it helped me to see you in a different light, not negatively, but to have more empathy for you and more respect. And and I think you're courageous uh, you. for writing and sharing. So. Yeah, that I think that's that that's a great example of, of the movie origin. So I actually have a question, and I think what you guys just talked about is exactly the best segue. So you guys both grew up different experiences. You look different, grew up in different areas, all this stuff, but yet you both had traumatic moments in childhood that shaped you. And sometimes when you are trying to relate to someone, you're trying to like get to that deeper level. Rob could be sharing something and I could be like, yeah, like I had a similar experience and I share my experience as a way to try to say I could understand like what that felt like I had a similar experience. Sometimes people are like, why are you comparing them or why are you trying to relate your experience to my experience? It's not the same, but at the end of the day, if it's a childhood trauma where you were either alienated, excluded based off your race, your sexual orientation, whatever, it might not be the exact same, but the feeling still is the same, That's but people right. get angry. Yeah, they do. How do we rework that or, or do you not share that story? I've obviously I've never experienced racism, but I've experienced anti-Semitism. Maybe it's not at the same level, but it's still that feeling of like, you hate me for no other reason except for the fact of I'm Jewish. Like as a child, how do you deal with that? Right. So there's been times where I have been in conversation with people and they'll say a story and they're like, you have no idea what that's like. I'm like, you're right. I don't, but I've had this kind of experience and they get angry. Like you're trying to compete or compare. And that's never been my attention. I'm trying to be more like, I, I see you more or less. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts I, I on that. Should, I don't think you should stop doing that. I, I mean, obviously the conversation may have to end, but I think you should continue to try to empathize with people. Maybe, I don't know, Rob, if she should do something differently because as or long as- Or do you as not share your like example? Because it's I, not like a competition. Do you know I, what I'm saying, Rob? I, yeah, 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 Rob, Rob, how would you- uh, Yeah, it's- um, I was at a book reading the other night with an author. It was a business book, but he talks about as a successful retail executive, and he talks about growing up gay in Ohio. And and very, you know, he's probably five six years older than me. And from just how he talked over it, it was like, yep, 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 yeah. Like we had very similar experiences. Um, 
I chose not to, when I got to talk to him after the, the reading was over, and then we like discovered we were both swimmers and like the, all the things, but I chose not to go, yeah, oh yeah. And then this happened and that happened because I, I it, it wasn't the right time, place, moment. It didn't, what was that going to do for him? Except I could say, oh, I totally related to all of that because I grew up in Indiana and I had a lot of the same things happen to me. And so we just instantly knew that we were doing that. Now that's two gay men together. I have been in situations where I've had people feel this desire to like kind of one up you. And so they're conflating your trauma with theirs and they just, and and for whatever reason, they need to get it out. That's the piece that I think you should be just aware of and how you're showing up and what is the person that you're talking with really needing in this moment. If we're comparing the scars on our body and in our psyche, fine. But if you're in a healing moment and needing support, then just be there and support them. There'll be time for you to share your story. But you can say things like, I can see how this has really bothered you. You know, I feel like I've had some similar experiences, but what did, you know, and then, but keep it focused on them. Turn it I back. I love that. Oh, I love that. Great advice. I love that, Rob. I love Because yeah. I think a lot of people try to relate and it comes off as like one-upping when it's not supposed to. But I think that you're right. There's definitely like a time when, in place and to go back to what we said earlier read the room like read the situation more or less right lastly i want to talk about cancel culture i feel like we are so quick to cancel people in today's day and age that it closes the door on learning and understanding and being vulnerable and growing because if you can't realize you made a mistake or you have no idea you can't grow so we can't become a better society especially around race and especially around both your individual communities there is a warning flashing red sign this is cancel culture could almost ruin the opportunity to learn more about either the struggle or shared experiences because people don't address it in the right way even me having this conversation in my head i was okay i gotta make sure i have the verbiage right because i don't want to offend anyone but if i am constantly thinking about that then it's not coming off authentic because i can't actually have a conversation or or have what's come in my head come out correctly so how do we work through cancel culture in order to have these open, honest conversations about racism and about microaggressions and about cultural racism and workplace institutions and all these big, heavy topics Mm. that most people don't want to touch. Rob, take it away (laughs) because you, I mean, what, what you, what you just said, I think feeds right into this answer. I mean, cause you, I mean, you are empathy you oh my god you are like walking uh walking empathy i i don't want to get canceled for this but you know there's extreme judgment coming on both sides and quite often we're critical of look honest we're all on the left of center to varying spots um And we're very critical of the people that are on the far right, but there are people that are on the the left that are as judgmental and as harsh and not giving people the opportunity to explain themselves. And they're just like canceling because they can. And that's obviously something that social media has made possible um, to, to have happen. And, you know, I guess I think about, Hmm, would I, would I cancel somebody? No, because I wouldn't want that to happen to me. So I'm always thinking about, you know, would I want that? What would I do? Um, And do you really know the full story? And that's the big, don't really know everything. And until, you know, if it's somebody that's committed a crime or accused of committing a crime, they are innocent until proven guilty. So we got to let the courts do their thing. And, and, you know, you, but we are so quick to just go out and like, oh, no, I'm not going to 
have anything to do with that person. Thinking a lot about certain celebrities or stars when they start to make a big, I don't know who has this time, but they go back on like Twitter and like look at old Twitter and tweets and pictures and all stuff and dig up all these things. And I think to myself, I was not the same person I am today when I was in college or high school. I don't believe I did anything that was hurtful to other people, but like, you're stupid. You're young. You say stuff because you think it's cool and you don't know. And then 20 years later, it comes back to haunt you. Like, where's the empathy for telling, letting someone say, I own it. I didn't know. I'm going to go get educated. I'm going to go figure it out. Or I'm not the same person. We just cut that off. Yeah. And then we lose that discussion to be able to have, I, now I understand why I made this mistake or I shouldn't have said that because now I understand or I learned or did the work. Right. And showing that you've done that there. (laughs) There are letters that I wrote back when we wrote letters um, when I was a young, early 20 something right out of college. I've been going cleaning out the garage and coming across people's replies back to me. And there's a few where I'm like, oh, my God, what did I say? Like I was (laughs) clearly super judgmental, um, really close, fixed mindset, wasn't open to growth or learning and you know, I, but I look at it now and it's like, okay, I am clearly not that person. I also think about the context of when I wrote that and I was going through my own coming out journey. So I think that was, you know, and I think about, well, how did that inform my thinking at the time? And even if looking at the book, I mean, and, and pepper to what you were saying, like the book is a journey of my own awakening um, and looking at myself and the way that I think and the way I move through the world as well. And, and, Hopefully you don't have to write a book, but people should be on that journey for themselves and then be open to talking about it and sharing what they're discovering. I I love that you talked about how um, we both have, ex- we all have these extreme biases. And I love that you talked about, do you know the full story? I think that is so important. We're watching Oprah Winfrey go through this cancel culture right now. And when I look at the videos of Taraji P. Henson talking about um, not being uh, paid equally um, and how she wanted to walk away, she was willing to walk away from the color purple because of it. Um, People uh, people started twisting that story because I was like that's not what she said it's kind of like when we were in grade school and your teacher had us play this game you whisper a sentence to somebody to see if it comes back um the way she delivered it to the first person and it does not and I feel like that's what's happening with um cancel culture do we know the full story but it was a couple of things that Taraji P. Henson explained to us about how she hasn't gotten a raise. And then Oprah on the red carpet, just a little bit, she she talked about, she she did it in passing where she talked about those decisions come from the studio. I don't think people know that, know the full story. So I think, um, um, I, I think, and I don't know if people in cancel culture, the celebrities, sometimes they may say, I'm not going to talk about this anymore because I don't want to um, present myself as a victim. But I think it helps. Rob, what do you what do you think about that? You know, putting out. I love that. Do you know the full story? So I would feel compelled to tell the full story without feeling like I was a victim or, or not. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Presuming let's, let's say, okay, there's no crime that's being committed. This is somebody misspoke or there's an issue or misunderstanding. Then yes, I think, you know, I am truth, honesty. It's, you know, sunlight, it is the disinfectant and to use that, and share. And, you know, with that though, comes the shadow side of shame and stigma and needing to overcome those concerns or fears so that you just step forward. Look, this is what I did. I apologize. And I've learned here's, here's where I've learned from that. 
um, and let's move on. And not everybody's, not everybody feels like they can do that. Well, I just want to thank you both so much. You guys both have already answered the final three questions, so I'm not going to ask you them, but I am going to ask you the fourth question that guests get uh, if they are a repeat guest. And I did not give you this one ahead of time, so I'm curious to see what your answers are. What do you want your legacy to be? I I guess it's still my my legacy is my purpose this whole need and notion drive crazy person to have society and business leaders understand black value, our value as a people, as well as our value in the market segment. And how we get there is an opportunity for those that come along. My, my way of doing it is talking about very foundational um issues and characteristics, beliefs and insights and perspectives about black people. Mine is the is the foundation. And so I would love if, if others could come along and build on that. It doesn't have to be people in the market research industry. Um, it could be somebody from the movie industry or they, you know, somebody in the entertainment industry. I don't know. But just to continue to build on that um that value, I would, I would want that. My purpose is my legacy. Yeah. I think very similarly, if I think on my tombstone or my obituary, if it said, um, you know, he helped make the world a better place, one conversation at a time, that would be lovely. Yes, absolutely. I love both those answers. And I, again, for listeners, love both of your books. If you are an educator, if you're in corporate America, if you are a parent, these are two books that will help you either lead your organization better, raise good children in this world, like kind, compassionate, empathetic children, and also it will make you more knowledgeable. And as a side note, they're both available for public speaking if you are interested Their information will be in this episode show notes. So corporate America, if you can hire them, you will not be disappointed. So hire us together. We do. Yes. uh, I'm happy to moderate the conversation too. Right. Let's do this. Right. Um, right. This is great. This is the second time Rob and I were able to do something like this. We did a author's panel and boy, we, we lit up the room. I'm sure. I was was at that conference again this year, Pepper, and people were telling me like they were playing back how much they, they enjoyed it still. Um, Yeah, it was, it was great. Good for you. Good for you. Thank you both so much. I so appreciate your knowledge, your friendship, and for taking some time out of your day to uh, talk with me. You're, you're very, very welcome. I'm very grateful for this opportunity. I've, you know, things like this prepare you, always prepare prepare you for something else in the next in the next step. And this discussion has even given me more insight on how I think about things and present things. So I'm very grateful. So thank you and thank you, Rob. Pepper, always. It's so good to see you, both of you, actually. Yeah.